This podcast deals with mature themes that are intended for an adult audience. The information in this show could be triggering and cause distress for some viewers. If you feel in distress, please seek out help. Please take care in listening. Relationship Review with Delcy Martin. Welcome back to the Relationship Review, my lovelies. Today's episode is part one of a three-part series on parenting as a team. This episode is parenting young children as a team. The second part is parenting teenagers as a team. And the third part is parenting adult children as a team. A lot of the information I'll give in today's episode can be transferred or maybe repeated in other parts of the series. But each age range has specific challenges that could add strain to your intimate relationship. In this episode, when I talk about young children, I'm looking at the age range of newborn to age 12. I want to acknowledge that this is a massive age gap with a lot of changes taking place in your kiddos during this time. So I'm doing my best to generalize, but know that there are age-specific issues which might not be covered. The purpose of this series is not to address child developmental issues, but rather to look at how your intimate relationship with your partner may change during this time and how to be the most effective parenting team possible. First, let's start with a case study. Robert, age 40, and Julia, age 35, have two young children, ages one and two. They're feeling distant from one another and they find themselves arguing over little things all the time. Julia is feeling overwhelmed as a stay-at-home mom and finds herself irritable and exhausted by the end of the day, leaving her with less patience for Robert. Robert works full-time as a business owner and mechanic. He's worked really hard to build his business from the ground up. He's very tired on the weekends and wants to spend more time building his relationship with Julia, but can't seem to find the time or the energy. Alrighty. In my counseling practice, I see folks like Robert and Julia all the time. I'm also a mom of two young children, so I can empathize with the couple. Having children is a massive life change and absolutely takes a toll on the intimate relationship. Multiple studies have indicated that it's very normal for relationship satisfaction to decrease during the years of childbirth and child raising. They found that a decline in relationship satisfaction over time is greater with couples who have chosen children than those who have not had children. This is major because it suggests that the first year after your child is born is an incredibly challenging time. In fact, the recorded dip in happiness in the relationship doesn't go away until children are more independent or if they've left the nest altogether. I want to normalize that a lot of folks don't feel like their relationship is on point during their childbearing years. And that this is 
absolutely and completely and totally normal. And that this is an incredibly challenging time that will test the strength of your relationship. Robert and Julia have that stress compounded because their little ones are so close in age. The feeling of distance in the relationship itself causes feelings of tension, and those feelings stimulate conflict, which creates more distance. You start to feel more like roommates and business partners than intimate lovers. It really becomes a vicious cycle. Both mothers and fathers who've become new parents are more at risk of developing depression, anxiety, or another serious mental illness as a result of this life event. The stress of children is universal. It is not determined by culture. It is not determined by location. It is not determined by socioeconomic status. Having children is stressful. Difficulties in connecting with your partner comes from multiple sources. First, time management is so hard. Kids hijack your body, your brain, and especially your time. Children really need you lots in those earlier years, and the time you spend with them is very intense, leaving you feeling exhausted and irritated at the end of the interaction. It's especially intense if you're a natural empath like me who picks up on people's energies. Kids are one big ball of energy, so even if you aren't doing anything physically active with them, the act of being in their presence is mentally exhausting because they emanate just so much energy. So, you physically have less time to spend with your partner, and when you do find that time, you're so exhausted and annoyed from the day that it's hard to bring your best self to that interaction. I see Robert and Julia having trouble finding time to connect in the way that they once did, and this is understandable. Prior to having children, this couple would have been able to commit multiple hours to one another. In their new reality, this is just not practical. For couples like this, I would recommend connecting in micro moments. Micro moments are small windows of opportunity to connect with your partner to build intimacy because it's not always practical to find large chunks of time. Though, of course, I recommend that you try and find large chunks of time as often as is feasible for you. I use micro connections with my husband all the time. Our micro connections begin in the morning. We're very cognizant of giving each other a hug and a kiss in the morning, multiple times if possible, rather than just throwing the wet baby to the other person for the diaper change as being our first interaction. Throughout the day, we make sure that we text each other random messages, funny photos or photos of the kids, just to maintain that connection throughout the day. In the evenings when we see each other after a long day, again, we take time for hugs, kisses throughout the evening. We talk about how our days went. These conversations sometimes take place over a period of a couple of hours because the kiddos are causing chaos in the background. But just the act of prioritizing moments of conversation with each other can make a huge difference. Our real connection time comes after the kiddos are in bed. We've decided that as a couple, we prioritize time to spend together in the evenings, but with the understanding that if one of us needs some time alone to do our own thing, we give the other person a heads up as a sign of respect, not asking permission, just heads up for respect, and the alone time is supported and is welcomed. 
I would recommend that Robert and Julia make a verbal commitment to prioritizing their relationship and actively looking for those micro moments during the day to connect. Practicing self-care fills your cup and increases your ability to tolerate the challenges to your relationship that come from parenting. I totally acknowledge that finding time for self-care is very hard. And I understand that self-care has become the modern day buzzword of Hollywood. And it can really feel impossible. But remember, some self-care is better than no self-care. So don't give up. Micro moments of self-care during the day is encouraged to put a drop in your cup each time. One drop at a time in your cup rather than doing long chunks of time to fill your cup. Maybe this is putting the TV on for your kids so you can read a book. Having your favorite coffee creamer snack during the day. Listening to your music while you clean. Those sort of things. If you feel like your partner is not engaging in self-care, giving them a gentle nudge is absolutely recommended. Some parents, like myself, feel that they need permission from their partners to engage in self-care. Listen, you don't need to ask permission to take care of yourself, but sometimes it's helpful to have your partner's enthusiastic support for this. As an example, my husband told me to go shopping the other day. I had massive amounts of anxiety about doing this self-care thing when I did it. But what kept me from running away from the situation was my husband's voice in my head telling me to take care of myself. Some of us just need that extra nudge in the loving ourselves direction. Self-care is especially hard for stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home parents because they're constantly other-person oriented. They have to balance the needs of multiple tiny humans during the day and then the needs of their partner in the evenings. They get very practiced at not acknowledging their own needs because their brain prioritizes everything else as being more important. So they either forget or they don't have the energy to do it. Another reason that you may feel distant from your partner is because you're not connecting erotically in the way that you once did. Having time for sex with kids is very hard. They don't sleep consistent, consistently, so finding time after they go to bed can be very challenging. You're exhausted and irritable at the end of the day, so even thinking about sex seems like too much. The stay-at-home parent can be especially triggered by this because feeling overtouched as a parent is a very real thing. Kids hang off us all day. They demand physical touch all day, all the time. So when our partners touch us in an effort to be intimate, it doesn't feel as good as it once did because we've already been touched so much. The erotic component of our relationship is just as important as the companionship component of the relationship, but often gets neglected because we don't prioritize it. If improving your sexual relationship is something that's important, it's important to vocalize this intention verbally and look for moments of sexual connection. For couples with kids, the sexual process often starts hours or days before the event happens. Maybe you start this process by talking about the sex that you're going to have, sharing what kinds of sexual acts you're most excited about. Getting excited about having sex starts long before the act of having sex, and this in and of itself is foreplay. Anticipation is foreplay. 
Scheduling sex is an absolute must for couples with children. I'm not saying that you need to have a special sex day of the week, though this can be super helpful for folks, but even connecting in the morning and saying, hey, let's be intimate tonight can be super helpful. Hey, let's be intimate if we feel up to it tonight is more realistic. I don't want you to necessarily force yourself to have sex if you're completely turned off by the idea, but if you wait for yourselves to be really erotically turned on before you have sex, you could be waiting a very long time. We want to go from a point of sexual neutrality where you're like, yeah, I could do it. Yeah, I could do it. Okay, whatever. Take it or leave it. If you feel sexually neutral and have the time to be intimate, give it a go. You may be surprised that just the act of foreplay from a point of being sexually neutral can be enough to hit those erotic buttons. And I cannot stress enough how important foreplay is. The Parenting Alliance is the component of the relationship that involves parenting together. It's how partners provide support and respect for one another in their parenting journey. A satisfying intimate relationship is the foundation for a strong parenting alliance. They go hand in hand. Parenting in and of itself can, cha- can be challenging as an individual for an individual's self-esteem and the ability to regulate. Having a strong parenting alliance with your partner can help you feel more secure in your personal role as a parent. It helps you both to respond to your children warmly and empathetically because you feel confident in your role as a parent due to the support from your partner. Good listening skills are your number one tool to survive this period. When your partner needs to talk, stop everything and attune yourself to them. Physically turn your body toward them. Maintain eye contact and give minimal encouragers like head nods or acknowledgement. Even if there are little ones creating chaos around you, these small things in the moment can show that your partner's needs are important. Do ask open-ended questions to encourage your partner to share more. And try to avoid planning what to say next to your partner. Your attention might wander, and this is normal. Just continue to draw it back to your partner. You might have to repeat this a few times. Do talk about your hopes, your fears, and your frustrations with your partner. If what you're sharing is something you feel that your partner might take personally or react poorly to, it can be helpful to begin sharing by saying what you need from them. As an example, Babe, I'm feeling really frustrated right now. I just need to vent and I need you to listen to me. I don't need solutions, just somebody to listen and hug me. Sometimes it's hard as the receiving partner to know what you need from them and many turn to providing solutions with when this isn't actually what you need. Your partner may share these hopes, fears, and frustrations, but they might be too scared to share them with you. You have the ability to be a leader in your relationship, and this is a big deal. This period marks a change in your relationship that you can't go back from. Yes, this change means a lot more challenges, but it also means a lot more development as a couple and getting to know your partner better by working as a team. When you and your partner connect at the end of your days, ask, what was good about your day? What was challenging? When your partner talks about their good, react enthusiastically and show interest. 
When they talk about what isn't so good, validate their emotions, normalize the difficulties, and provide them a compliment or an affirmation about why they are an amazing human. These things help build emotional connection and friendship, which will keep you going during this period of time where connecting emotionally with your partner is very hard. Disagreements in parenting will come up. That's inevitable. Talking about each other's perspective can really help this process. Don't enter a disagreement with the goal of being correct. Rather, enter with a mind of curiosity to try and understand your partner's perspective. Also ask yourself, is this disagreement really worth pursuing? If this isn't a serious life or death parenting disagreement, can you find any points of commonality? Can you compromise? Can you agree to disagree? It can help to relieve tensions if you can accept your partner's point of view while still being able to explain and have your own view heard. It's important to ask yourselves why each of you wanted children. What role do you expect each of you to play? How do you perceive the role of mother and father? This will always link back to how you experience the role of mother and father growing up. Unless you make an intentional choice to change your parenting style, you will always default to the way that you were parented and the way that you grew up. After children, a lot of folks become chronically focused on their work, and this might be because one of their own parents worked a lot when they were kids, so they understood the role of this parent to be a hardworking provider that doesn't spend a lot of family time with the kids. Some couples fall into a gender role trap where, of course, if this is a heterosexual relationship, the mother will take on a majority of the household duties and childcare, and the father will take on a lot more work duties outside the home. This is improving and things are shifting, but it still remains. Feelings of resentment are normal if one partner feels that they are working harder than the other. Men are given a lot of societal messages that the mark of a good father is someone who works very hard to bring in money and provide for the family. Women are given a lot of messages that they are the only ones that are capable of caring for their children effectively. Neither of these perspectives are correct. An involved and in-tune father is amazing for child development, and fathers have the ability to be just as capable at raising children as mothers are. A mother's role is so important to her children, but this is not the only thing that she is. She has the ability to be the provider, and she deserves to have the need to share this role with her partner. Household chores are a common ticking point between couples because having children widens an already existing gap in responsibility. The chores now have to be done more often, and the house is messed up ten times as fast. If a gap in household work is a problem in your household, I want to invite you to listen to my episode of the podcast called Division of Labor, and it'll give you some strategies to address this. Usually, the female takes the majority of time off work. This is not always the case, especially as society is becoming more encouraging for our male partners to stay at home, but the gender division remains. Because of mother's usual greater involvement in parenting, they are more sensitive to pre-existing relationship problems, which can affect their ability to parent at their best. There's a huge amount of social isolation and frustration of being at home with a child. You have Miss Rachel or Paw Patrol going on repeat in the background for hours while your children are hanging off you and demanding your attention now, now, now. 
Ooh, tired just saying it. <laughs> There's a loss of identity because these little ones rule your world and demand everything from you, leaving you with little time and energy to take care of yourself. After you have children, you are seen as nothing but just a mom. I remember just after having my kiddos and still today to an extent, I would attend social gatherings and the only questions people would ask me are about how my kids are. Although I enjoy talking about my kids, I remember screaming in my head for someone to see me, see me as something other than a mother to my children, see me for my independent interests, my personality, and the unique things that I can add to a conversation other than how my kids are sleeping. Chronic exhaustion is a real thing from being up at night, but from just having so much stimulation during the day, all the time, noises, crying kids, demands, plus all of the mental stress we carry. Sure, we're attending to children physically, but in our heads, new moms and dads working through a lot of emotions and triggers that can come up from our own past histories. All of these things can cause women to come off as irritable and sad. We are shamed for feeling this way because we should be happy. We should be grateful for our children. When in reality, we're overtouched, overstimulated, chronically exhausted, have lost our identities as individuals, and are struggling with messages about how to be the proper parent. These messages are coming from all directions. And we just want to be in love with our partners again, and we just want to feel normal again. This is a whole lot of stuff. And having empathy for ourselves and empathy from our partners is a huge way to combat all this stuff and make it easier to cope with. As parents, there's also a lot of pressure to create meaningful moments and be as involved as possible. This is good stuff, but I also want to caution that it can contribute to burnout in parents of any gender. Do enough fun things with your kiddos to create memories, but not so many things that you're left feeling burnt out and overwhelmed. I fully believe that a lot of relationship and personal stress that comes from having a child is from lack of social support. I do not believe that we are meant to raise children in the way we do now, with our village all over different parts of the world, living in isolation, without other mothers around us, and having demands to return to work and contribute to a capitalist economy. Things get incredibly hard when family is all over the country, when available family doesn't contribute in the way we hope they do, when we don't have a community of parent friends, when we're forced to return to work because of the economy, or when we don't have enough community supports. There's a phenomenon that friends that used to be part of your life pre-baby are now not coming around as often. It's real. It's very lonely. In fact, studies have found that women in particular, women's other relationships deteriorate as their relationships with their children grow stronger. That's pretty profound. You can raise a child without a village, but it's a lot harder. The village not only supports the well-being of the child, but also the well-being of the parents. And the parents often get forgotten about. Conflicts over parenting styles are inevitable. What counts is not necessarily the resolution of the conflicts, but how they're discussed. The communication skills and the overall strength of the relationship pre-baby absolutely influences the intensity of negative outcomes post-baby. 
If you and your partner are really good communicators and have a loving relationship prior to having your first child, chances are that you'll fare better handling the challenges of baby than a couple who struggled with communication, held contempt for one another, and were dysfunctional prior to having a baby. Babies do not fix relationships. They don't. A transition to parenthood widens the already existing differences between the partners. You just may have not noticed the differences until you have the kid. I encourage you to approach your partner with an air of curiosity about why they have a certain parenting style, why it's important to them, and what it means to them to be a parent. I also can't stress enough basic politeness and gratitude for our partners. Yes, our partners are our safe people and we need to be ourselves with them, but that doesn't give you permission to go off on them and be rude to them and verbally abuse them. Thank yous go a long way, even if it's just for small things. As an example, my husband and I will thank the other person for letting them to go back to bed in the morning and taking the kiddos when one of us is very tired. We don't assume that this is the responsibility of the other parent. We just ask for what we need and be considerate of the other person in helping us. A thank you goes a long way in building positive bond with your partner. When our partners do open up and talk to us about their struggles with parenting, it's absolutely vital that we don't engage in competitive misery. Competitive misery is how we respond negatively to someone when they share with us because we feel that our struggle is worse than their struggle. So here's an example. My husband is now parenting our two little ones for the summer. He was venting to me about some of the normal frustrations of being at home with two toddlers. When he was talking to me about how hard it was, <laughs> one part of my brain wanted to be like, see? See, this is the crap that I had to go through when you worked. This is why I was so cranky and irritable all the time. Now you get it. <laughs> I didn't say this, though, because if I did, I would be turning the attention back to myself when he needs me. Instead, I empathized with him and I said, you are so right. Parenting the two of them is super hard and super frustrating. And I'm so proud of you for the hard work you're putting in. In this moment, my partner needed his wife and his best friend to listen, validate, and offer support. This is the kind of validation I needed in the moment when it was happening to me, and I was so honored to be able to give it to him in that moment. If I had responded the way my brain wanted to, I would have been completely invalidating his experience and pushing him away emotionally. And you better believe that the next time he's frustrated, he won't come to me and talk about it. Our partners are human with the same full range of emotions we have. They just express them differently because it's a different brain. If we meet our loved ones with the utmost respect and empathy that we would a stranger, it fosters emotional closeness and bonding, moving you towards your partner instead of away from them. Effective co-parenting is key in maintaining the sanity of the entire family during the young years. Effective co-parenting can have better outcomes for behavioral regulation in your kids because you're able to maintain consistent boundaries. Difficult moments are temporary and they will pass and I know that you can get through this. I have to tell myself this every day to keep going. 
Having a baby with the love of your life increases connection and helps you to develop shared meaning in the relationship. You have a set of goals of raising your family together as a team. This is your ultimate team project. I just don't want you to entirely lose yourselves in the process. Some loss of yourselves is completely normal and this doesn't mean that your relationship is doomed forever. Connect when you can and embrace those micro moments of connection throughout the day. Treasure those moments where your kid does something amazing. You look into your partner's eyes and you see the absolute joy that they share with you in that moment. Play with your kids together. Blow raspberries on those bellies and tickle those toes as a team. Find the joy in parenting together. But when one of you isn't joyful, show the utmost respect for your partner's experience in that moment. Your children are pieces of you and your partner, biologically for some, and in nurture for every child. The reflections of you both. You guys have the ability to have the best, most emotionally close and fulfilling relationship possible with your kids and with each other. Don't hold back that love for even a second. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for entering my brave space. And as always, I'm very grateful to you. Take care.